What is important around burnout is to keep in mind a couple of things. First, that burnout can, can go hand in hand with engagement. And it, this is very common in our industry. This is very common to find people surprised because they felt that they used to love the job they were doing. And then one day, burnout kicked, knocked the door. So what happened? What happened to me? I used to love the, 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 this thing. And now I'm just considering to quit and to, to, uh, to open a bar in the beach. So what happened to that? So and the problem there is that burnout can go hand in hand with work engagement. So don't fail in the trap of only watching how excited about I am about my own job. Because even in those situations, if we don't manage our burnout risk well, we can go down into the, into the direction of burnout. Hello, friends and family. My name is JJ Rescas. I am the host of Optimizandome, or Optimizing Me in English, the show where we invite top performers from different industries to learn from their stories, their successes, their failures, and mostly to learn from their mindset. Our guest today is the founder and CEO of Yerbo, a company on a mission to end burnout in the tech industry. Forbes recognized him as one of the 30 most promising Argentinians for the way that he uses data to solve business challenges. He and his team are democratizing an area that is rarely taken seriously in business, and that is science-based well-being management. They take years and years of research and transform them into tangible practices that get applied to companies that want to deal with burnout in a proactive way. I'm personally super excited about this conversation because I have experienced burnout myself in the past and I've seen older friends and colleagues struggling with this too. At that time, we didn't know that there were smart ways to deal with burnout and to prevent it. And our guest today is going to reveal how. Without further ado, let me introduce you to Marcos Sponton. Hey Marcos, how is it going? Hi JJ. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from Argentina right now. We're in the middle of the winter, so enjoying the winter. I'm very happy to, to, to be speaking with you today. Nice. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marcos. I know that as a CEO of Yerbo, you may be having lots of things to do and uh, the mission that you guys have is fantastic. So let's start with who's Marcos Espontón and what is Yerbo? Okay. Well, Marcos Espontón is a guy, a father, a um, husband, uh, a friend, I hope so, <laughs> and the founder and CEO of Yerbo, which is my second company. The last one was acquired by Mercado Libre. Uh, we spoke a little bit about it on our emails before. And that company was acquired, and at the moment of acquisition, it was the largest machine learning solutions provider here in Latin America. But even when that was a, a very important thing to achieve, from my perspective, the most, the real outlier of that company was that at the moment of the acquisition, we had no more than 4% of annual employee turnover. And that was mainly because 
I love people from HR, people departments, but that was mainly because we threw to the garbage the playbook on how to lead the well-being of people. And we brought science to, to learn how to do that in a way that felt like natural and impactful for tech teams. So after that experience, we decided, okay, there is something to do here and we can do it at scale. That's where, that's how Yerbo born, you know? That's our initial motivation to, to start working on Yerbo was, was, was beginning. So we created uh, a proof of concept that some of you might know, it's, which is called the Burnout Index, which became the largest data set of, of, of burnout in the world. So we went into that direction. And today, summarizing, we have customers with the likes of GitLab or Nuvac here in Latin America using Yerbo to, to, to deliver resources for the middle managers and individual contributors to prevent and manage their mental well-being, you know. Hmm. So let's let's start um, from the point of before Yerbo. In this other, in the okay. previous company that you guys had, how did you realize that? How did you get in the first place to the four percent turnover? Because I bet that it did not start like that. There may have been something hmm. else going on there. Hmm. Well, to be honest. There is not a, a recipe, like a, a formula that everyone can apply on my perspective. Uh, the, I think that the most important thing was that we were convinced and that, was, that wasn't a responsibility of our HR department. That was a responsibility we have or we had as co-founders. I mean, that was one of the main reasons of that company was that we were really looking for to feel proud, not only on what we are building, but also on how we are doing that. Uh, we were working hard side by side with people. So we wanted to feel that we can do really big things without burning out. So what I'm trying to say here is that that was one of our top three, three priorities. Even when we were creating a business, we were convinced that businesses can be created without burning out people, with mental well-being. They can go hand in hand and they were not like, the, 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 there is no need to conceive high performance like a trade-off of mental well-being. So once we were really convinced on that, we discussed almost every day on how to improve that relationship between performance and well-being, you know, at almost every scale. And um, hmm. of course, there, 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 some things that I learned over the time that, that at some point weren't like normal, if you see, if you compare with other companies, were that there is like this research trying to summarize how people, how leadership deal with, with, with their different companies. Um, if you summarize or if you categorize into different emotions, you're going to see that there are fear-driven models of management and trust-driven models of management, you know? So, and we were like really believers, truly believers of trust is the main component of the emotional relationship and then in, a, in a team that want to achieve high performance without burning out. So what, given that we were living into that situation, into, we were leaving our own vision in terms of creating a company Centered around trust, 
uh, it was very common to receive almost any, any, any feedback coming from any place in the organization about this is impacting my mental well-being and I can do what I do and I can do the, my own best uh, effort if I can solve this one problem, if I can solve this one, which is it, it can, you can see that this is pretty small, but it is not because if you don't trust 100% in, the, in your people, most likely thing is that you are going to start looking for top-down solutions because you consider that you know better how your people is going to be uh, in a better situation than themselves. But if you trust them, you are really open to speak about mental well-being with them. You don't believe that this is going to backfire your business, you know? So... Just to summarize uh, an answer to your response, I think that the most important things that we did with that company was to have a mindset from the very beginning, really aligned to bring mental well-being to the team, you know? Is that, that correct to you? Does it make sense? That makes sense. And now that leads, that leads me into another question, but we're going, we're going to go back into, what was the name of this previous company? Machinalis. Machinalis, that was sold to Mercado Libre, correct. Exactly. So we're exactly. going to put a pin on Machinalis because the story there is very interesting. Now, Marcos, let, um, help us please to identify or define what is burnout, especially okay. for knowledge worker. Okay. Well, burnout, it's, it's something, it's a syndrome uh, today that is essentially the result of prolonged exposure to stress in the workplace that is characterized by four different dimensions. You are going to see a three model, but we know that you can use a four dimensions categories to, to explain it with a better psychometric properties. That exposure uh, to stress is going to generate four different dimensions, I'm, I said. The first one is exhaustion. You know, exhaustion is not only the physical, but the cognitive exhaustion. When you feel that at some point you feel that thinking hurts, that just planning some idea is enough, like to make you feel hurt, physical pain, start a circles of anxiety only because you have in front of you a minor task that in the past it was extremely easy to accomplish for you. Maybe you are reaching a point when exhaustion is a problem. So the first dimension is the first component is exhaustion, cognitive, emotional, and physical exhaustion. The second one is related to what is called the self-inefficacy belief, which is very related with this expression of imposter syndrome, which is very common in our industry. This sensation of that you are not doing enough and that sensation becomes a source of anxiety. Sometimes the sensation, the feeling of that you're not doing enough can be a good source of motivation to keep improving, to keep learning. But other times it is strong enough like to keep you away from enjoying the process of learning or, the, or, or enjoying the process of growing, you know? So the second component of dimension is self-inefficacy belief. I'm not doing enough. The third one is cynicism, 
that cynicism means that mental distance that you have with what you're doing or with your company or the task in a way that you feel that you are not adding any value to the company or to the task you're doing or the task you're doing is, isn't, is not adding any value to you. What I mean is essentially when you feel that when you start asking to yourself, why, why, sorry, by why? because my French, but why the hell I'm doing this? Why if, why if, if this is not, it's going nowhere. Okay. Hmm. That kind of questions, when it happens isolated, it, it's not a problem. But when it is repeated all over the time, week over week, right. day after day, this is going to be a very, a very important source of stress and sustainable over the time. It can become a very important uh, problem in terms of burnout. And the last one is called depersonalization, very similar to cynicism, but in this case, the mental distance is not with the task of the company, but with the people surrounding you. Sometimes your customers, sometimes people in your team. Another time, just, I don't know, um, the people from another department, you know? At the beginning, some levels of depersonalization and uh, what, what is important around burnout is to keep in mind a couple of things. First, that burnout can, can go hand in hand with engagement. And it, this is very common in our industry. This is very common to find people surprised because they felt that they used to love the job they were doing. And then one day, burnout kicked, knocked the door. So what happened? What happened to me? I used to love the, 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 this thing. And now I'm just considering to quit and to, to, uh, to open a bar in the beach. So. What happened to that? So, and the problem there is that burnout can go hand in hand with work engagement. So don't fail in the trap of only watching how excited about I am about my own job. Because even in those situations, if we don't manage our burnout risk well, we can go down into the, into the direction of burnout, you know? <laughs> so far, so good. So far, so good. Now, okay. you mentioned okay. work engagement, and that goes hand by hand with with burnout. So, how do you define work engagement, which sounds to be kind of the opposite? How would you describe that one? Okay, yes, they are complementary, um, and work engagement has different dimensions too that correlates really well as opposite dimensions of burnout. And it's exactly the, the, the positive experience of being fulfilled by your job. And I'm going to explain it in plain, in, in plain English. I mean, it's an experience where you feel that you as a person, as a comprehensive person are growing by the kind of job that you're doing. And this is something that you are going to see with indicators like the kind of mental focus that you can have at the moment of developing a task the sense of purpose and the level of energy you have. If you feel that you lack energy or if you feel that nothing, the, the, the job that you're doing doesn't generate you a sense of purpose in the more, in the most deepest way, most likely thing is that this is going to affect your burnout somehow, some, somehow in the, in the short term, you know? But what we need to do to understand about well-being in general is that at the end of the day, those levels of work engagement, work engagement or burnout risk are always lagging indicators. 
are always because something happened before that. So if we are looking only to work engagement and burnout, we are going to lose the information about why those things are happening. Or we are going to be always late. So if you step back to the very beginning of the research around stress, by the way, we all the humans are prepared to, to, to go into stress, you know? The problem yeah. is that uh, we need to recover ourselves in the same proportion, proportion that we stress ourselves, which means that yeah. if, if you dedicate a lot of energy during your day and at the end of the day, you don't have recovery activities or recovery mechanism to recover yourself in terms of your emotions, your cognitive, your strength, your, your, your energy, your physical energy, most likely thing is that this is going to kick off some mechanism like presence of cort cortisol in the blood that are going to start affecting your, 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 your body. Your, even your body, not only your psychology is part of, of yourself, but your body. But I was going to say is that the very beginning of the research uh, about burnout uh, or stress in general, at the beginning it was called in the 70s, it was called depression by exhaustion. Stress was related to an imbalance between, between demands and resources. And demands and resources are things that need to be balanced or at least just as slightly unbalanced, but not highly imbalanced. I mean, there is the, if you feel that you are being demanded much more than the kind of resources that you have over the time, most likely thing is that you are going to fall into burnout. Quite the opposite. If you feel that the kind of demands that your, that your job is asking from yourself, and your resources are extremely high compared to them, most likely thing is that you are going to fall into boring out. Burn out burning out because you are extremely bored. Okay? You don't bored, feel challenged. Right. You don't feel like this is going nowhere in terms of developing your, your, own, your, own, person, your own personal skills, etc., etc. So, and this kind of, and this relationship between resources and demons is something that happens both at individual, at the team, and at the organizational level. So the most important problem here, if you see burnout as a systemic problem, is to understand that many times demands are generated by your team and maybe you're just generating some resources at the organizational level or different or different or quite different. Or maybe demands or resources are generated at the team level and maybe you have some self demands at your personal level that makes you extremely difficult to balance the demons and resources because at the personal level, maybe, I don't know, maybe you have, we all have a lot of biases that affects you in a negative way. Okay. So it doesn't, let's just to put it simple. If your manager is telling to you that, okay, JJ, um, I noticed that your self-inefficacy is going, to, is going up, um, but Keep in mind that we are okay in terms of the, 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 the accomplishment of what we plan for this spring or the performance you're having. But you internally, you leave your own self, mm, let's put this way, self-demandant. Uh, uh, and, and you at some point suffer 
this bias of being extremely perfect, you know? Right. Because I don't know, maybe you were you were born in a, in a home where being perfect was extremely important. Most likely thing is that the environment that your team is creating is not going to be enough because internally you are going to be that you are not doing enough no matter what other sex. And it can be quite different. So, and, and, and it can work in, in, in if you make any other combination. But what I, that's what I'm saying here is, first, keep in mind that this is a game of resources and demands. And second one, it has every, different levels, organization, organizational level, team level, and the personal level. Hmm. Marcos, this is bringing me so many questions. For example, let's start with this one. Um, you mentioned that the recovery should be in the same proportion as in how much energy we invested. And that is very mm -hmm. simple. If I run a, a, a marathon, that's going to be tiring for the body, right? And therefore, after that, oof, I really need to relax the body, hydrate, recover. Very easy. Very easy to understand because the body hurts. But what about tech or knowledge workers? How does that um, exertion of effort happen at, at, at the cognitive level? And what does recovery mean in that way? Okay. Well, the problem with humans is that compared to animals, we are not very efficient at the moment of the recovery and some, in, in some situations. <laughs> Okay. If, a, if a zebra sees a lion, most likely thing is that the zebra is going to start running a lot. It's going to feel a lot of stress and a lot of blood is going to be distributed in a way to help that zebra to go faster. Once the zebra stopped seeing the lion, because I don't know, maybe the lion was too tired and didn't, and didn't attract her. Once the zebra sees that there is not risk out, her, uh, out there, she's going to stop and the zebra is going to start eating again. Nothing happens. The circadian rhythm goes down and everything is going to be in control again. Look what happened. We, the knowledge workers, we have a good planning, let's say a, a conflictive planning meeting today because we are planning our sprint or because we had some problems because we had some incidents in production, um, but you knew it that those incidents were about to happen because you mentioned several times that we had all this and that technical debt and et cetera. Any of those moments generated a stressful situation to you, but, and you did your own, did your best effort to solve the problem. And at the end of the day, you say, okay, this here's the thing, JJ. This is, this is, this is it for today. I'm going to start working on this problem tomorrow. But what happened? The problem is that we are not as smart as zeros. Most likely thing is that when you go to your home, your brain will keep working on that risk, even if that risk is not there looking at you with, with the lion's eye, you know, because you perceive that the problem is still there. You know, wow. so the problem with recovery is that it's not lineal in terms of the kind of control you can have. You need to train it. You need to set a lot of specific activities 
to be good at recovery. And recovery doesn't mean resting a lot. Sometimes that's a problem and you need to do that. And I'm not a specialist. I'm not an specialist on recovery, but research has proven that recovery many times has to do not only with resting, but the sense of control of, of your time. Hmm. I mean, let's see the opposite situation. How many times do you consider, okay, did you plan, okay, this weekend I'm going to take a lot of time to rest and then my, that's my case. Maybe my story, my wife asked me to do something on the garden or, or someone needs something to do and oh, I needed to go to the grocery shop to, to, to buy some things and then and this and that. And at the end of the weekend, I look back and say, okay, what happened there? My agenda took the control, okay? So this is going to affect your recovery quality, you know, the quality of your recovery. Another factor well-known around the quality of the recovery process is the mastery, the sense of developing mastery, you know? Mm. If you invest all your energy into your job and after that you don't invest energy into new brain connections, most likely thing is that you are going to be perceiving that you are growing or you are putting a lot of energy all in your job and nothing else. And mm. this is going to affect also the quality of your recovery. So mm. there are a lot, of, a lot of things around recovery, but what I want to, to stress here is that the idea of that, as you mentioned, recovery is, is, a, is a game of proportions, not, not only in quantity, but also in quality. What, what is, but you, have, you, are, you also have a lot of experience on, on this topic. What is, what is your take here? Well, this sense of cognitive uh, demands that we put on ourselves, for example, like you said, um, the, the brain does, the mind does not stop, the, the mind does not stop working, which is unbelievable. Usually I will get answers to my, uh, to my questions or to my problems in the shower, right? Or while going on a walk, which means that something deeper is still working, but it's, that's working at a, at a different level. And, um, it reminds me also, Marcos, of how much I struggled in the past with setting boundaries for my own recovery during the day. Even, you know, something that I ended up doing is, is this thing, this experiment that I call the resting bubbles or rest bubbles, which means that 10 to 15 minutes during the day, I will set a, a, a rest bubble and I will just lay on the floor and do nothing, no inputs, no sensory inputs, nothing at all, not even music, not even meditation, no, just stay there and that is what forced me to get into my into a relaxed nervous system and have a second round but man it was so difficult to do it because i think in my case i was so hardwired to 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 do and do and do things which which is, is, yeah. is not the way to work right totally and uh, from the clinical perspective we don't we don't we don't talk too much about work life something that comes to my mind is that we don't talk too much about work life balance i mean many people speak about it and i see I, that this which it is an important topic um but it's not researched a lot uh with that terms but what do have a lot of of, of research behind it's the problem of it's the challenge of work-life impact which is we don't assume that there is a balance between work and non-work related roles but we know that there are a lot of 
impact that can exist if you consider every single role that we all have in our lives. And the problem is always a problem that is going to be, uh, I don't know, I mean, this is going to be a problem based on the boundaries you set, or it's going to be a positive reinforcement based on the boundaries you, you set. And one of the most important problems in work-life impact, related to work-life impact, is something called the invasive fatigue, which is, let me put an example. Do you know that, kind, that those people that once they finish their job, no matter what they're doing, they start feeling excited they start feeling energized because they are going to start work. They're going to, to their home to play the, with their children or to, or they are going to, I don't know, to play soccer with their, with their friends or they're <laughs> right. going to do their hobby or whatever they are going to do out of, out of their job, uh, job related uh, tasks. But what uh, in the parallel, you are going to see other people that after job, after the, the, job, the, the, the time they are doing job, they're going to feel that they are just running out of energy and they just want to go to their home to rest. And they don't have energy enough like to play with their children, to run their own hobby, and so they start postponing, etc., etc. So what happened with that people that even in the, exactly the same situation, the situation of finishing their job time, one of them feels excited, energized, and one of them feels totally, totally, totally fatigued, you know? So what we need to, 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 to learn is that boundaries, boundaries need to be conceived not only as a limit, as a guardrail, but also as an open, as an open door, as a door, you know? If you can open and you are going to see that those boundaries are going to are going to connect you with other phase, other stage in your day. Or not, it's not stage, the word in English, but other um, other dimension, if let's say, of your own personality, of your own day by day. You know. So, and if you see like that, and that's the way that people frame when they when they are going to start connecting with their children, for instance. Okay, I, I'm so totally excited because we are going to do this and that with my wife or with my children. So, and, and then you see, okay, I envy that person. <laughs> I'm just looking for to go to my home to just to lay on bed and maybe drinking a beer. Or what happened with me that it doesn't happen with that person? You know? Well, that's the, the opportunity with boundaries. Not only consider boundaries as a limiting as a limiting uh, factor or as a guardrail, but also as a door as a door connecting to another activity. Thanks. That, that makes me. That makes me also think, Marcos. Uh, when I was prepping for this uh, this interview, uh, one of the previous interviews that you had, you talked about the work life integration, as well, right? And uh, I don't know what's your take on this. In my case, for example, for years by leading tech teams, I used to tell them, guys, this is not a Clark Kent versus Superman. A double personality problem. It's not that you're gonna come and just take off your 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 you know your 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 s your heroes um, uniform from one uh, or hide the other one. But instead, we are more like a 
like an Iron Man. It's the same guy exactly. with an armor without the armor. How how's yeah, your exactly. take on that? I totally agree with with that vision. I um, I I I mean, we are always the same person. We're always the same person. Um, what we I'm going to connect with Jerwo here. We created Jerwo essentially because we want to help people to have in their workplace a source of mental health. Because if your workplace, and this is the problem, burnout was normalized during a lot of times. It was like business as usual. If you work very hard, you're going to burn out. Okay, why? Why? I mean, I don't accept that. So my my main idea at the moment of considering of evaluating these problems of of having two personalities is that why do we accept that uh, that, that 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 model you know i really the science says that you can't split your personalities unless you have some conditions some basic sure. conditions that most likely most like most likely you don't have okay but uh once once you don't accept that, you are going to start looking for how can I do to, cr- to, to create an environment in my team to become me as a person and to look places to work for, to companies to work for, where I can get not only a salary, a career, um, self-fulfillment, but also mental health for me and for the people surrounding me, okay? Because this can happen. And you, you're not going to, to, you're not going to get to that point unless you consider that you are always the same person inside and outside your job. Hmm. No, that makes sense. I didn't think about that. Thank you so much. Now, Marcos, let's start getting into Yerbo's story and then let's get into the tactics of these three levels that you mentioned that is the individual, the team and the organization. So how, how did you come up with the idea actually? Because like you said, this, inner project within Machinalis was maybe not even the, the core business of the company at that time, but you were able to, to figure this out. And then how did that lead in, into what's called Yerbo now? Okay. Well, the, the main, the main, our main thesis is, is since the beginning of Yerbo was that, and I'm going to say this, in a very pretentious way, you know, uh, it was that the industry of well-being of well-being was wrong, because most of the times the industry was only focusing to wellness as an end goal, and on the second time, most of the times, the industry was looking for to create solutions and to face the problem with top-down solutions, looking for to develop resources to HR uh, and with centralized initiatives, huge initiatives. And as far as we know, when burnout knocks the door of HR, it is too late. It is because something didn't happen like a couple of months before. And a couple of months before, maybe it was just a matter of a conversation, only a conversation. And in our industry, we work in the tech industry, those conversations should happen in, in rituals that are very common, like the one-on-one conversations you have with your team leader, 
or the planning or retrospective or dynamics like those ones. So Guillermo was born once we real, realized that most of the resources were created with the people in mind that was far from where the problem were, was, was huge, you know? So that's, 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 our main, that's our main starter and motivation at the beginning. We need to develop resources for the individual contributors, for the team leaders, for those dealing with those problems, for the people that are not only looking forward to solve it because they are interested in becoming, for instance, better leaders, but also because they are facing all day long with the people struggling with the problem. If you are, I don't, I, again, I love the people from HR, but if you are in a big corporation, most likely thing is that you are going to look at the problem of well-being as a statistical problem. But for me, mm. as a team leader, someone struggling with mental well-being has a name. It's a person. It's a real person with a real history, with a real family. You know? So it's much more easier to be empathetic and you need empathy to start solving this at scale if you, if you generate resources for those dealing with the problem in the trench of the company. That does make sense to you? Yeah, that makes complete sense. Like you said, if we treat people as, as numbers, then we are actually creating depersonalization in the first place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as a byproduct, yes, it's going to happen. As a byproduct, it is, right? So, yeah. so let me understand this. So what I'm understanding is that here, when you guys, what you guys are doing is taking aspirational well-being and transforming that into practical well-being yeah. is, is that totally something totally because you know something that happened in our history for instance we the, the approach of here was going to help people active teams to decrease the level of burner risk by an average of 40 percent after six months which is a lot if you consider the human and the economic impact it's going to be a lot but we learned that if you help teams to manage their well-being as an end goal most likely thing is that once they stop struggling with mental well-being issues, for instance, like burnout, they are, they are not going to feel motivated to keep working on that again. And from the sanitarian perspective, there are three different things you can do to solve mental health issues. Treatment, which is the most expensive one, and most of the companies focus into hiring coachings or psychologists on demand, etc., and they are going to tackle this problem when it is too late and when you have mm -hmm. someone that maybe is considering just to quit their own career as a developer. Early detection and early management and prevention. And prevention and early detection are going to happen in the trench of the company, are going to happen in the front line with the front line workers. Mm -hmm. you know? So what we want to do is to attach and what we are doing is to attach the mental well-being management to those priorities living inside the, 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 the in, inside those teams and that's when we figured out that our goal wasn't to solve burnout problem per se but to help those teams to achieve high performance without burning out to achieve high performance with mental well-being of course we reject a lot of mm, leaders all the time. We reject many of them because 
if you if you see, you're going to see that there are like two different types of leaders. I'm going to, 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 to make it extreme and very dramatic. There are those transactional leaders looking for to extract value from the team and to put that into the organization and to gain a bonus, you know, at the end of the quarter. Sure. Um, then there are others, non-transactional people that they want, they are looking, actively looking for to learn from their own mistakes to achieve high performance without burnout. Because they know that the main asset they have is the, the I don't know, at some point, the, 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 their name, their reputation they have in the team. And they do that because they really want to have a team they will love to work for. So what we're doing at the end of the day is to help those teams to achieve high performance without burning out. Of course, we have seen a lot of anti-patterns at scale, you know, um, and we have been discussing a bit about it in, the, in, in our previous talks. Mm-hmm. In, in regards to the patterns and anti-patterns, or let's call it best practices and anti-patterns, what would you say that are at the individual and team and then the organizational level best practices and, and anti-patterns? I know this, this, this can be a long answer, so go for it and I will okay. keep track of that. So uh, I'm going to select just some of them. Um, I'm going to um, randomly, okay? Um, but some common anti-patterns and very common um, ways of thinking about how to manage mental well-being at scale in, the, in our industry. First of all, as I mentioned, considering that well-being is a responsibility of HR or is a responsibility of the operating management. This is very common. And most common problem is that the most common manifestation of that anti-pattern is that you're going to see that when you speak to a company about how what do you do in, the, in regard of mental well-being, they're going to tell you all the things they do to gather data, So using that data, they are going to change policies, which is very important. It is very important. If you see something happening on the entire company that is affecting the mental well-being of your company or the, the, the climate of your company, it's okay. Take act on it. Take actions. But it is not enough. If you consider that mental well-being, it's only a matter of, of HR. Most likely thing is that you're going to have um, and something that is not sufficient to solve the problem from the road causes. The second anti-pattern, it's those, I don't know if you, maybe maybe some of the people in the audience is really aware of those big initiatives that commonly start every quarter, start with every, I don't know, upper management team, you know? This quarter, we are going to do this, this, and that because this, this is going to uh, solve that Big, big problem. <laughs> Another anti-pattern is to run it top-down. Run it top-down. What does it mean? Essentially, to make those initiatives mandatory. Another anti-pattern common in many companies is to see approaches that are one-size-fits-all. Why are they... they, they the anti-pattern, because essentially the problems that, I don't know, the sales team have, the triggers of men, of burnout in, in the sales department are extremely different than the triggers in, I don't know, in the support area. 
at the personal, at the team and the personal level, another anti-pattern very common is to consider yourself as a hero, you know, looking for to solve every situation and to feel guilty if you didn't see it coming, which is going to affect not only the performance of your team to solve, to prevent, to detect early signals, but also it's going to affect your own mental well-being. No? In mental well-being management, no one is a hero. Not even for yourself. Most of the times, you need to get support from others. Maybe in very, very simple things. Maybe, I mean, I'm not talking about a specific crisis, but I'm just talking about our day-to-day. -day. We need to get support from others. Mental well-being, to be effective, need to be, needs to be community-driven. So... I don't know, and, and, and we can go deeper, but uh, any of those resonates with you? Do you want to add any other? Um, yes, I would like to go touch based on this one that is one size fits all. That, I think, is one of the most interesting ones because, like you said, uh, this quarter we are going to have uh, yoga for everyone. Right? Exactly. <laughs> you have exactly. people that they do not move right? <laughs> or that they, 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 they do not fit to that realm. Or this quarter we're going to all of us meditate. And But for some people, meditation equals suffering, let's say, right? And exactly. for, other, for other ones, yay! So exactly. something that I was thinking about this, Marcos, is uh, for example, I've been doing lots of um, nutrition experiment experiments with myself, and because of that, I, I got my DNA decoded, my gut health uh, discovered, explored, and so on. And and then I got supplements that are that fit my specific DNA, right? And even though let's say that your body and my body are very similar, there are tiny differences that even if I give you, let's say. Um, extra vitamin D, that's not going to work, but it may work for me. So we're getting into something that is called precision nutrition. Why precision? Exactly. Because it's precisely or personalized for you. So this, what you were saying that one size does not fit all, sounds to me that there is also this precision recovery. Exactly. Which means that, right, for you, maybe meditation uh, may work greatly. For me, what I call contemplation it's something different, like that rest bubble that I was saying. But that that goes uh, only through experimentation. Yeah, you can give me guidelines, but at the end of the day, as an individual, I will have to try out what works for me or how long, what's the dosage specifically for me. Mm -hmm. Is that, does totally. that go along those lines as an individual? Yeah, totally. I totally agree, you know. And even more, you can, you, you, you should keep in mind that most of the times, we don't share, first, yoga for everyone. Maybe my problem is not about how I'm processing my own energy to come back to my axis and to start breathing, and which is very important. I do meditation myself and I really believe in, I, I do believe, I believe in the science behind mindfulness and I, I share that and I, this is part of my day to day. But maybe you are struggling with problems that are beyond yourself and that's, and expecting that you are going to solve everything based on how do you process your reality and how do you manage your anxiety and how do you manage your own bias, your internal voices, when maybe you have a leader that is not sharing feedback to you. And it is very important because you are very concerned on how and where your career is going. You're missing 
something extremely important that you are not going to solve with more yoga. So even if yoga is important for you at the personal level, at the team level, maybe you need some other things. And at the organizational level, even if you have an ext- a very good dynamics in your team, but you don't feel proud of your organization, you're not going to feel connected with the kind of task you're doing, even if you love the code you're writing, you know? So first of all, yoga for everyone is not a problem. And maybe it's not a solution that everyone has. There's no solution for a problem that everyone has. Even more, I'm totally sure this is not going to solve everything. So those big initiatives are an antiparty. And second one, we as a person, we are all in different stages of awareness around our own mental well-being. And you can have people even denying the importance, how important is something for their own mental well-being. And you can have all inside the same team, you can have other people totally convinced and aware and really practicing the, and, and dis- the discovering what is triggering their own work, work engagement, for instance. So one size fits all is going to for is going to forget that kind of diversity you have in your team. And speaking about diversity, most likely thing is that those big initiatives are going to consider neurotypical people, which is another mental well-being anti-pattern. This is not something we can talk today, but what we see in our industry is a very important prevalence of neurodiversity teams, neurodiverse teams, which means that why do you try to use a a hammer all the time, okay? Of course, there are good practices too, (laughs) but but I love that example you shared. I I was about to ask those ones. What are uh, best practices at the team and organization level that you've seen and that you're also helping to implement through Yerbo? Okay. Most of them have different implications and different flavors, uh, but follow the same principle at some point. Um, I'm going to be very generic, but essentially one of the, one of the most important is use shared frameworks. Use, uh, sorry, use a validator framework to create a shared language. This is beyond Yerbo. I mean, we see that the top performers, top performance, top systemic performance in terms of how to manage and create well-being promoters uh, environments are very good at creating a shared language to describe how do we feel and what is happening to us, you know? So if you don't do that, what is going to happen? You're going to start listening to someone saying all day, I'm burning down, I'm burning down. And maybe that person is just exhausted. And then you're going to talk to another person close to you and to, you're going to ask her, okay, how do you feel? And she's going to tell you, I'm okay. And maybe that person is just about to go into a crisis and a very important crisis. So creating a shared language is the, not, is not only the first step at the company, but also at the team level. But one thing very close to there is using a validator protocols, which is very far from the common reaction in HR teams. They most mm. commonly, they are going to or buy frameworks without scientific validation, or they're just, they're just going to reinvent the wheel and they're going to start saying, okay, we are going to ask if people uh, feel burned out. So they're going to ask you directly, do you feel burned out? Which is, by the way, a bad, <laughs> bad, bad idea. Okay. 
Um, another good practice, best practices. Go, go, go. What, what makes it a bad idea to ask directly that question? Because this is going to generate uh, a lot of biases and a lot, a lot of, it's going to backfire in, this, in terms of uh, behaviors. One of the most common biases that you are going to, uh, to generate asking so directly, I mean, asking directly is a very good opener for a conversation when you're talking one-on-one. -on -one. But when you are measuring at the organization and some of them in your organization feels like a depersonalized relationship with the company, most likely thing is that you're going to start perceiving uh, some biases like social disability bias, you know? Um, this kind of bias is going to affect not only for if you have people depersonalized, but also if you have an environment without psychological safety. Because if I don't feel safe, to be honest, I'm going to start responding based on what I consider that you want to hear about my responses or based on what I am assuming that is going to be the reaction that you're going to have based on my responses. So that's the, that's the a common bias. It's called social desirability bias. But also, if you ask some, a person, person um, do you feel burned out? And that person is not sharing, uh, is, it doesn't have the same, I don't know, the, the same definition of what burning out, burnout means. That person is going to, to be responding based on, on, on their own definition. And you are going to start working on that problem the same way that the other person that maybe says, okay, I'm just exhausted. And maybe that person that says, I'm just exhausted. I'm a little bit tired, but it's normal. In not a big time, that's a common situation. You see, and that person, after a couple of months, going into an important crisis and reaching a burnout, a clinical burnout. You know? hmm. Another, and, and asking that way is very common and also generates other problems like ego defensive responses. If I don't have, if I have a personal problem with the person that is asking that, most likely thing is that I'm going to start protecting myself with my response. Hmm. Another best practices, another best practice is, is to, well, there is a anti-pattern, which is trying to generate new rituals. We are going to create this workshop. We are going to create, with, well, workshop is, it's good as Kickstarter, but if you want to start, if you want your people to start talking about mental health openly, and then you create a, a, a New ceremonies, those new ceremonies are going to demand a cognitive and emotional effort for people that feel that this is not their priorities. Okay? So this is going to be an extra effort. So a good practice, a best practice we see in top performance is that they build on top of existing ceremonies and rituals, which means team leaders asking about, I don't know, some specific mental well-being challenges or the impact on the well-being of, I don't know, of a feature of uh, something that we have been working on in the last sprint during the retrospective, during our planning, doing, making it extremely uh, intentional during the planning. We want to do X, Y, or Z during the planning in terms of the impact. I mean, building on top of existing rituals, it's something that we see as a very good practice. 
Another, another very common practice we see, and it is a very good recommendation, not uh, also at an individual level and mostly for, for leaders, is to lead with examples. I mean, to create a psychological safety place, environment, to speak about mental well-being, it is important to start with your own, sharing your own insight, sharing those insights that makes you vulnerable. That kind of vulnerability is going to generate a safe place because your people is going to feel, okay, it is safe to be open on how weak we are, okay? And don't be mad if you don't see that people uh, follow your example after the first after the first time you you did you do that because the first times you do that most likely thing is that some people are going to perceive is that you are doing that because you have some privileges okay is the leader nothing wrong is going to happen to her because she is the manager okay she can be really open. Okay, her career is not at risk. The another one is that it's very, very common in 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 there is a common problem in in companies that want to start working on this, is to start looking at lagging indicators, as we mentioned before. Lagging indicators meaning uh, what is the number of burnout? Okay, so we need to improve that indicator. Okay, so all the people going after that, and most likely thing is that managers are going to receive one third of their bonus are going to be received if they change and improve the metrics and burnout, which, by the way, is a very good way to add a bias, you know, <laughs> because I'm going to be biased toward the direction of rating them positively. Exactly. Right. You will, you're going to be conditioned and with the reward to make that happen, that number happen, even to, to pay the price of getting people burned out, which is exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly, totally. So the first of all is to stop looking for lagging indicators, at least in the initial stages and to mm -hmm. stop looking for lean indicators. And this is going, this is important, not only on the team level, organizational level, but also individual level. What are the main reasons that makes me feel stressed or triggers my own specific, for instance, cynicism. I need to start working on those triggers. I don't need, and I need to look at the lagging indicators to keep on track what is the impact of the kind of actions I am taking, you know? And very related to this one, what we see in top performers is that they do focus into actions taken in, instead of data without context. I mean, you're going to see in one-on-one -on -one conversations, people about uh, people speaking about what actions do, do you do, 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 does JJ take to improve their depersonalization problems instead of just mm. speaking about the depersonalization problem. Because... This is like a muscle. It's like the bubble that you mentioned. It's a, it's a muscle. At the beginning, it's extremely hard to do that. So the, it is more important to gain cadence into generating this logic, this systemic and personal logic of looking for high performance with well-being instead of a, tra a trade-off. Uh, and at the beginning, it's more important the cadence than the final result. Uh, does it resonate with you? Yeah, it does very much. Do you have, okay. do you have any other insights? So 
you started answering something that I was going to ask, which is how does a data science performance team behaves? Yeah, cool. <laughs> the, I'm going to tell you something that we learned from a huge sure. team with, the, with that characteristics. They were really good at something that I was about to mention at the end, that was providing recognition. I mean, this is a, this is a matter of behavioral change at some point. And every cycle, every step, every step they're doing in order to find how to overachieve their goals with mental well-being, they are extremely good at recognizing themselves. Their managers wow. are really good at keeping track, at keeping track, even for because recognition is going to be like a shot of dopamines for every single step that you're doing. So, and you are very good at, in, 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 at the moment of looking at that kind of, uh, and, and speaking about that kind of uh, dynamics. So when you want to start building on top of something that many times in those hyper growth companies feels like counterintuitive, which is how can we do some overachieve goals without burning out ourselves in the middle of the, on, on our way, every single time that you do something into that direction, no matter what the result is, Recognition, self-recognition, self-recognition, team recognition. And this is the another problem. This, this is another best practice we have, we have found, which is start at the team level. Start conversations from the team's perspective. If you have inside your team people that feels really confident on speaking with you in an open and vulnerable way, most likely thing is that that person is going to tell you, okay, I don't know what is happening with the team regarding, I don't know, the team coordination, but I can tell you what is happening with me that is making me to struggle with team coordination and it's affecting my own depersonalization. But if you lack that psychological safety or that bonding uh, with, with that person, most likely thing is that that person is going to use the team as a safe place to open the conversation. I think that maybe what is happening is that we're not realizing, well, that, this, and that, okay? So an entry point, using the team as an entry point of conversation is always a safe place. Do you, that is fair to you? Yeah, and actually, I, I am I'm super eager to increase the volume on some teams that I, that I still lead on the on the reward part when on true reward part right it's true, true recognizement of what they are doing great now yeah, and, and you can and you can recognize specific behaviors i mean what you're not going to create uh something you're not going to create a sustainable change over the time if you don't decentralize which is by the way one of the the, the problems of the of the of the top-down approaches. If you don't decentralize, if you don't help people to take agency of their own mental well-being, because the company won't solve your mental well-being by giving you more ping-pong tables, the same way that you are not going to solve only your own mental well-being by doing yoga, okay? There are those different levels, needs different levels of agency. And for instance, what this, this is something that you can reinforce with recognition. For instance, when everyone in your team, when someone in your team brings to the agenda of, for instance, to the, to your one-on-one -on -one meeting, 
some topics that are specifically affecting their own mental well-being. That's our role as a leaders, to celebrate that, to recognize that, you know, to recognize even the effort. And by the way, something that we shouldn't do, something that it's very common for us to do is consider this situation. JJ comes to me to our one-on-one, one-on-one meeting. And JJ says, uh, look, Marcos, this is happening to me. I've been struggling during the last couple of months with this. Um, I was underperforming because uh, this was affecting myself. I, I didn't like to, to speak about that because I wasn't sure about that. One of the common situations is to say, JJ, I, why didn't, why you didn't come to me before? Okay. Hmm. That initial reaction is going to bring you another new problem. Not only a teammate suffering from something at a personal level, but also JJ feeling guilty because right. he didn't share that with you before. So please <laughs> just avoid to generate guilty on your team every time that they share something, you know, which is very common. Hmm. You want to help him. You want to help JJ. Okay. You want to help JJ? <laughs> you are the, the, the most interested person in helping JJ, I, I guess. Um, uh, uh, well, the, the problem is it, it's a common reaction that makes people feel guilty. And that's one of the source of the stigma of mental health. I don't know how to speak about it. I don't know how to open the conversation. So I will postpone mm. this until I see this is a real thing. You know? Hmm. And that, by that time, by that time, it's too late. By that time, it's too late. By that time, hmm. it's too late. Hmm. Now, we, I know we are getting to the end of our conversation, Marcos. There is this question that I would like to get your insight about. So I see, like you said, there are internal and external stress, stressors, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, this game or balance between demands and resources and we are in balance, that's what can cause or bored board out or burnout. Mm -hmm. Now, many of those internal stressors are our perceived, um, our perceptions around specific, specific situations that, oh, I do not have enough time or I, I'm not skillful enough, imposter syndrome, and so on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So now let's take from that those belief systems, let's say, from the individual to the, to the organization or team levels. And what are be empowering belief systems that you've seen in the high performers? What are they doing as a, com com as a company, as an organization, differently than other ones? What, how's their mindset, in other words, as, a, as an organization? Hmm. At the at the belief system, I mean, at, at the belief of, of right. cognitive bias or cognitive traits or coping mechanisms. Right. Okay. Uh -huh. I think that the, the 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 most important are related to this logic of being very consistent on this logic of generating awareness. And awareness is not mm. just knowing something, but being connected to something. I mean, being being conscious about where something is happening, when it's happening in myself, in my team, in being aware in the full sense of it. So they are very act systematic on generating awareness and taking action in short periods of time based on that awareness. Uh, so this is the first, the first coping mechanism we see at a, at a, at a, um, at a team and organizational level. 
and they are very open to that. Mm. And which is not something common. I mean, most of the people listening to this podcast, this podcast are people really interested, really connected with this situation, with, with this type of the field of, of knowledge. <laughs> But this is not the common situation. I mean, for most of the people speaking about this, in the best of a situation, in the best scenario, is just a nice to have. It's not something mm. that is a, a central component of the organization. So every time that you see a company, a CEO, speaking freely about his or her own mental health, what you're going to see is a good indicator of someone that is free, feels free to speak about that publicly. And if that is sustained over the all different levels of the organization, you are going to see a very good coping mechanism. This is very safe. This is a place, a safe place to speak about mental health, you know? And, and one of the, you know, there is one of the cognitive traits is dramatization, you know, to see everything as a drama, to see we didn't get our OKRs uh, goals. We, we didn't get our OKRs this quarter. And, and once that, once you mentioned that, once you share that explicit, only that input into your company, you're going to see many different reactions. And then you're going to see people totally eager to start the new one because they want to accomplish that. Others saying, okay, that was because this quarter was awful, uh, which is, by the way, a polarized thinking and, and, and that, that people tend to see everything in black or white. And other people seeing like, uh, okay, this, that means that we are going to break, we're going to bankrupt here. You know? One of the common coping mechanisms I see systematically in an uh, organization is that they don't dramatize their, their, themselves. Okay. So, um, and I think that maybe th this is one of the most clearest one. They, they just see it as a part of the evolution at almost every level. Mm -hmm. What is, what is your experience in terms of what have you seen and in, 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 in regarding this problem? The healthiest companies that I've seen, Marcos, are teams, uh, both teams and organizations. Like you said, they take care of people and they take true care of people. They truly um, care for the well-being, emotional, physiological, and mental of their, their team members. They don't even call it employees starting from that point. They call it members. They call it something completely different. So even the, the language changes when you feel part of, of a whole, right? Not something like only a clog in the wheel. And uh, the taking care, that is one of them. And the other one, the openness within the team to speak up um, from even personal problems that we may have that will affect us as a team, right? Because sometimes, I don't know, your kid got, uh, got sick that morning and that you had a, an important presentation and you are the only one who can do that. No, now you have a team supporting you. So that creates that trust, that bond of trust that uh, is watering the, the plant of, of a healthy environment. So those are the two, two aspects that I've seen mm -hmm. out there. Cool. Something I see as a common pattern is that they are extremely straightforward at the moment of sharing where they are. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and straightforward doesn't mean to be 
to be to, lack of of sensitive of sensitiveness. It's it's just to be respectful of the time of of the time and to be respectful of the other person and um, to avoid obfuscating information. You know, being straightforward. It's like a required condition to create healthier environments. Um, the uh, and now I'm thinking on, on our current customers, most of the people that are our top-notch uh, leaders in Sayerbo, they are extremely, extremely straightforward at the moment of, and clear, re, clear leaders at the moment of, of sharing what are they concerned of, for instance. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. This is so interesting. Marcos, I have so many more questions because I know that we have only talked or touched the tip of the iceberg on what you guys are doing. So what time is it? Okay. We still have a few more minutes. I wanted to ask you now, uh, what are, what are common um, ways that, or how are the ways that you Yerbo are using data specifically on the day to day to innovate on how to operationalize or to put into practice this well-being techniques okay. that we've been talking about? Well, essentially what we do in Yerbo is not only to generate awareness, generate awareness on different topics around mental well-being. So week over week, we deliver some prompts that measure, as I mentioned before, in a validated way, uh, the presence or absence of some specific indicators. Based on that information, we deliver instant feedback and actions recommended um, to the individual contributor, anonymize it in a safe way. That data anonymize it goes to the to, to the team leader. But which is more important, using that data, we discover what are the most important pressing factors that that person should be talking about in their one-on-ones. So we suggest them to include them in their one-on-ones, or at the team level. We suggest to the team manager, you should be speaking about these specific factors because we know using the data that if you don't do that now, they are going to become a larger problem in a couple of months. So hmm. essentially, we deliver data, we use data, we generate data and information and insights to reinforce that self-awareness process so people can keep track on their own mental well-being, they can improve it. But at the same time, we have the team manager to spot early problems uh, before they become larger. Wow. In the in the short term, we're going to integrate. We have some integrations, like and people like GitLab is using Yerbo, and uh, we have some integrations in place. Which is uh, your your community is mainly from DevOps. Um, many users from the GitLab community started asking us, "Why don't you create the mental the the, the well being incidents management approach?" Which is, by the way, an integration wow. between GitLab and Yervo. So, for instance, this is a just one use case. Based on your Yervo levels, you can assign some tickets to someone. You know, uh, this is something that is going to happen in the next quarter. But this is going to be more more news coming soon. <laughs> you know, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. and we're going to put also the notes in the episode notes, the link to Yervo and the burnout IT calculator. And okay, cool. um, we're we're getting to the end of the interview. Marcos, is there anything else that you would like to, to leave the audience with before I make my few last questions? Okay, I'm just, I'm doing this because I don't accept burnout as a business as usual. 
I'm doing this also because I live the experience of having a father that does accept it, did accept it, that did accept this, this as a business as usual. And all of our family was impacted because of, because my father almost died because of burnout related symptoms, you know? So if you have a personal story like my one, like, like mine, uh, feel free to reach out to me because at the end of the day, what I want to do is to create more mental health. And I believe that we can do that at scale. And I believe that the common approaches are wrong. So I want to learn from people interested into solving this into the tech industry at first, you know? So my invitations in summary is reach out to me. I, my, my, I live and breathe feedback and conversations with people to learn from there. Yeah, well, it's full of people with, I don't know, with PhDs and things like that. I'm just the person that facilitates their job. And at the end of the day, even when we are very good at, at creating products or, or doing behavioral science research, we need to connect more and more and more with our community because they know mm. what is the problem, what is the solution they are looking for. So my invitation is just reach out to me. I look, well, I, I'm looking forward to, to speak with you. Thank you, Marcos. Where can we find you on the net? Oh, and on Twitter, you can, my handle is at Marcos Sponton. Maybe you can share at the, at the end of the talk. Yep. Um, that's it. Perfect. I'll put those notes as well on the episode. Now, the last question for you, Marcos, it is, if you could leave the audience with a question to optimize their performance and also prevent burnout, what would that question be? Are you proud? Are you proud of what you're doing? Proudness is one of the main predictors of work engagement without burnout. So take a look at the feeling of uh, the question of if you feel proud of what you are doing, how you're doing with what people you're doing that, etc. Proudness is a very good lead indicator. Thank you so much, Marcos. I, I would double down on that one. That, that makes complete sense. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you so much, JJ. It was my pleasure, Marcos. And to the audience, thank you so much uh, for, for joining us in this conversation. If you guys enjoyed this conversation with Marcos Esponton from Yerbo, give it a thumbs up and subscribe to receive notifications for upcoming interviews. That's all for today. So keep learning. Keep optimizing. See you soon.